You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Last week I told you about a runner, this young lady who won the female uh, portion of the Boston Marathon. Her name is Worknesh DeFega. Amazing lady. I told you I loved her name because her name is Worknesh. W-O-R-K. Worknesh. It's quite a bit of work to run a marathon, wouldn't you agree? 26.2 miles of what some would call sheer agony. I've never run a marathon. Have you? But I can only imagine that it would be agony. They say by the time you hit about the 20th mile, you're about to die. That young lady won that race. And you know, the race called the Christian life is described as the agon. We learned this last week, A-G-O-N in the Greek, agon. We get our Greek, our English word from that Greek word, which is what? Agony. Christian life is not easy. You know, Worknish DeFega, when she crossed the finish line, eventually they gave her a trophy. We don't run for a trophy that we get here, do we? We run for a crown that we get where? Heaven. The Christian life is often marked with difficulties, trials, struggles, suffering. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're going through a difficult time, a season that seems never-ending. We were singing about the fact that this too shall pass. Sometimes Satan will want to tell us that there's no hope, and we feel like we're suffering. You know, I was thinking about athletes. I was thinking about Worknish DeFega. I was thinking about the race of the Christian life, the Agon. And I was thinking about these skilled athletes. They actually put their bodies through suffering so as to succeed, in the case of Worknish, in the race. True? So the suffering actually in her training is of benefit for an eventual triumph. Can you see your suffering that way? That God is using suffering in your life? Remember Jesus. We talked about the fact last week that he suffered. Jesus suffered on the cross. Now think of this. This has been several weeks ago. But in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, we learn that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. The Son of God learning anything? Listen, He learned obedience through suffering. How do you learn something? You don't truly learn something until you experience it. Jesus didn't just look at our suffering from afar. He came down here and He's gone through everything we've been through and more. He, by way of experience, suffered and learned how we feel through it. We saw this last week. You've made your way to Hebrews 12. Look at verse 2. You say, that's what we started with last week. Yes, but it's a jumping off place. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, some versions will say the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he seated right now, church? at the right hand of the Father, at the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners. That word endured can mean suffered hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen, church family, listen to me. Look at me, please. No one, and I mean no one, escapes or evades suffering on this earth, and that included the Son of God. If you're living on this earth, you're going to suffer. Because we live in a sin-sick world, and it rains on the just and the unjust. The Apostle Paul is, is sharing this truth with these first century Christians. These are the Hebrews that have given their life to Christ. And they need to keep enduring in the agon, in the race, to not be weary, to not give up. And so that is the encouragement that we're going to see again today. We're going to continue now with our our text for today, which is verses 5 through 11. If you got your way there, look at verse 5. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And that word sons can mean sons or daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That means that comes into to the fold, in other words, the kingdom of light. It is for discipline, verse 7, that you have to endure. You have to keep going in this agon. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which we've all participated, then you are Ill illegitimate children. It's like you don't have a mom or a dad. You're not treated as sons. Besides, verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, that speaking of God, and live? For they disciplined us. Who did? Our fathers, our earthly fathers, for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, that's God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share what? His holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And notice that word trained. That is the Greek word gymnazo. Gymnazo. What English word do you think we get from gymnazo? Gymnasium. Gymnasium. God might have you in the gymnasium of suffering right now because he's teaching you, because he's training you, because he's wanting to equip you. This morning as we begin, I want to point us back to Calvary and what happened there. We showed you the fact that last week that Jesus endured the cross because he was looking to heaven. You see, church family, when we go to Calvary, when we stand on that rocky skull-shaped hill, we're reminded that we are yoked with Jesus. His yoke is easy and His burden is light, but we're reminded of the fact that when we're yoked with Jesus as believers, we're also bound to Him, and that includes suffering. Don't discard the yoke. Submit to it. Believe, obey, trust the Lord Jesus, even in the pain, even in the suffering. He did, and He knows how you feel. He learned obedience through suffering. He experienced suffering. I read a quote this week by Dr. David Black who lost his wife to uterine cancer about six years ago at the age of just 61. And here's this quote. I want you to see it. Dr. Black says, I have learned to climb the hill called Calvary and from that vantage point survey all of the tragedies I've faced in life. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't solve the problem of suffering. Instead, it provides the indispensable perspective from which to view suffering. Christians bounce back from lousy situations. It's in our DNA. We are more resilient than we think. Everything can be endured, my friend, looking from the hill of Calvary. Amen. That's beautiful. And that's the kind of encouragement that the Apostle Paul is seeking to deliver to these Hebrews, these Christians who are now suffering unbelievable persecution. It's a great weight. And what the Holy Spirit is guiding the Apostle to do is to help the people understand that the suffering is actually training. God is not punishing. God is not cursing us. He's allowing these things in the gymnasium of suffering. Sometimes I think we could call life the school of suffering to train us, to teach us in this process of being sanctified. And that's verses 5 and 6. And Paul says to them, he says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Paul asks, in essence, have you forgotten the proverb that you learned when you were a kid? See, this is a letter to the Hebrews. And they knew very well the proverbs. 
You say, this is a proverb? Yeah. Do you have an indentation in your Bible for verses 5 and 6 in chapter 12? Is it indented? Is there some white space around it? There is in mine. See the white space? There's, there's some white space. That means it's a direct quotation. A direct quotation from the Proverbs. Actually, verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12 is a direct quotation from Proverbs 3, verses number 11 and 12. And, and Paul is reminding them of this. That this is something you should have learned when you were a kid. And, and he's, he's speaking to them from the perspective of a father and a son. You notice there it says in the indentation part there in verse 5, my son. Who wrote the Proverbs? The majority of them. Solomon. And what is he doing? He's addressing his sons. And now it can be sons or daughters. But, but it, it's a father, listen, addressing his kids in the area of discipline. Hey, Dad, you might not realize this or understand this, but it is our job to teach and to train our children in discipline. Did you know that? We are to lead out in that. But in most homes, it's the moms that do it. In most homes, the dad's like, see no evil, hear no evil. And they just leave that on the shoulders of the moms. But dad, it's your job to lead in the instruction. That's Psalm 78. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't frustrate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the discipline of the Lord. And that training is in that gymnasium. But I understand in a crowd this size and those who are watching today that there's probably moms in the room and you're a single mom at this point in your life. And you go, well, Okay, so you're talking about dads and uh, there's not a dad in the home. Listen, I'm talking about the original divine design of God, okay? And so I'm talking about the fact that God's design is that there be a, a husband uh, and a wife in the home, a man and a woman to raise their family. That, that was established in the Garden of Eden. That's, that's God's design. But there are moms who do this all by yourself. And you know what? You're my hero. Because what you do is amazing. And God equips you for that. And might I remind the single moms out there today that we've got two letters written to a man named Timothy, first and second Timothy, whose mama and grandma raised him because he had a pagan dad. His mama, we have her name. Her name was Eunice, and his grandma was Lois. And the Bible describes the fact that they raised Timothy, and he became such a godly young man. The apostle Paul met him on his first missionary journey, came back through on his second missionary journey, and said to Eunice and Lois, I'm taking him with me. And he took Timothy with him on the next two journeys. All that to say that the single moms, it can be done. But the divine design and what is taught here, I want you to understand, God's design is that there be a dad and a mom Okay, in the home, and dads, we are to lead. Okay, we are to lead. How? Like with a whip and a chair? No. We're to lead in, in, a, in an attitude of servanthood. Jesus led by taking a towel and a basin of water and washing his disciples' feet. But we lead, dad. That's why Solomon said, my son, my son, my son. Jesus said, if you're one of mine then I'm going to treat you like a son. And that means if you get out of line, then he is going to try to get you back in line. You say, how do you know that? The book of Revelation. Just, just look at it. Listen, listen to me read it, okay? Revelation 3.19. These are the words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, verse 20 is often used by preachers in revivals to try to call for revival. Behold, I stand at the door and knock to that lost soul. It doesn't say that, does it? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is written to a church. This is for church people. This is for a born-again believer. We can get out of lockstep and out of the will of God. And Jesus will say, okay, you're going to do it your way? I'll just stand outside the door. And I'll just keep knocking. But I'm not going to force my way into your life. You're going to have to let me in so that we can have fellowship. You're talking about you lost your salvation? No, you cannot lose your salvation. You're born again. The Holy Spirit has sealed you until the day of redemption in heaven. But the point is we can be out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus if we're not walking and following him. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Don't get lost on the commandments. Just love him.
If you love him, listen, if you love him, the commandments will come just by way of natural product. Love him. Jesus was talking to Christians, those in the family of God. Remember, we are disciples of Christ. What does that mean to be a disciple of Christ? A follower, a learner. Okay? Hey, 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 what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? In, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're talking about discipline. Well, okay, got it? Disciple, discipline. Same root. If you're going to be a good disciple, you're going to be disciplined. True? Yes. No, no doubt about it. I think of Worknish DeFega, that little gal. I mean, what a runner. There ain't even nobody close to her when she crossed the finish line. I don't even see anybody but the workers. Do you? Do you think she put herself through agony in training for that race to beat all those other ladies in that race? She disciplined her body, and it wasn't easy. That word discipline there in verses 5 and 6 is the Greek word paideia. Paideia. And it's the root word for our English word pedagogy. Pedagogy, that's the word that we would use for like a trainer, a teacher, a mentor, a coach, a parent. The word paideia carries the idea of cultivating a child's soul by using correction and helping to curb their passions and their appetites, if you will. Providing a hedge of protection, guarding them from what is dangerous until they're ready to handle it. I mean, you don't put a five-year-old at the, at the wheel of a car, right? You don't put a five-year-old with a knife in the kitchen chopping up carrots because they could have their pinky finger in the salad too, right? You wait until they're ready, but you train them. That's the point. You train them. The Apostle Paul was trained. You know who his mentor was? Where he got his pedagogy? A man named Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of all time in, in Jewish history. You say, where do you get that? Acts 22.3, listen to it. Acts 22.3, Paul said, I am a Jew, born in, Tar in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated. There, it's the same root word, discipline, paideia, at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. That word educated is the same word as discipline. Isn't that what we're to do, is to train our children? to discipline them. See, that's verse 7. Look at verse 7, Hebrews 12, 7 in your Bibles. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? See, church, we've titled this entire series Christianity 101. This is the basics. Paul is reminding the Hebrews, these Hebrews turned Christians, of what they've been taught from childhood and that they are to be trained up. And the, the, the Jews trained their children on the Proverbs. People come to me and they ask me a lot. They'll say, you know, what, what can we use to like for child rearing? I mean, I, I wish somebody had written a book about it, you know. And I'm like, we've got Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is for child rearing. You've got kids in your home. Listen, I used to think when a kid turned 18, you were done with them. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Not even close. I worry about my old, I got two sets. I got kids in their 20s and I got, I got two 14-year-olds. I swear I worry more about the ones that are married now than I do the 14-year-olds. It's just something all the time to try to want to care for those kids and make sure they have what they need. And they're always your kids, aren't they? They're always your kids. I'm 51 years old. My dad and mom are both still living. They're 71 years old. And they, and they still look at me like a, like a kid, not in a negative way. You understand? They still see me as their child. They, they care for me. You don't stop caring because your kid turns 18 or 21 or graduates college or whatever. You always love them. But see, we have these Proverbs. And I, and I encourage you to read the Proverbs, mom and dad. Because it's great child training. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. He said, have you forgotten the Proverbs? And, and, and this is Solomon's writings. And, and this is part of the Word of God. The, the Proverbs right in the middle of the Bible, this is the Word of God. Right here. You do believe that. Is, is, is Proverbs divinely inspired? Yes. Now, now, we know that there's, there's other areas in Scripture. I mean, we would definitely say John 3.16 is divinely inspired, right? 
How about um, Romans 10, 13? Right? For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We, we, we like that verse. It's, it's, hey, how about Philippians 4, 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Divinely inspired. But what about the Proverbs? You've got, I don't have a problem with Proverbs. In about two minutes, you might. I'm going to show you some stuff that's in the Word of God that is probably going to make you squirm in about two minutes. You go, yeah, right. Watch and see if I'm not a prophet. Are you ready? I need you to listen. Here we go. Two minutes. Go. Proverbs 3.11. The Bible says, my son. You see, Solomon's encouraging his son. My son, do not despise, despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his repro reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You go, I'm good with that. Yeah, I figured you would be. So am I. It's the next few that are going to get you. Ready? Here we go. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod, the rod, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent, is what? Diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. I told you, you're uncomfortable. Because that doesn't fit our culture, does it? See, because we're smarter than God now. See, we're more educated, aren't we? Right? What is the rod what is the rod? One more. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mama. So what's the rod? You say, time out. No, it's not. I mean, this is Proverbs, so it's Old Testament. So what's the original language? Hebrew. So let's go to a Hebrew dictionary called a lexicon and let's just see what the word rod is, can we? Now, we're talking about the divinely inspired Word of God. That means that all of God's Word has been inspired by God. God lives outside of time, so His Word does not go out of favor because God doesn't stand in time. He created time for us. He split it open when He came into it through Christ and then left and is sent back the Holy Spirit. But God is smarter than we are. except when we're talking about things that make us uncomfortable. And then we just kind of change it and say, well, that was for that day, and we're in 2019, and we're really smart. That's because we've all been breathing the air of evolution that says that we somehow are more intelligent than Solomon, the wisest man outside of Jesus who ever lived, so what is the rod? I looked it up. The word in Hebrew is this word. It's pronounced shavet. Spelled S-H-E-B-E-T. It's a branch, a twig, or an offshoot. You say, I don't know. What is a shavet? It ain't a Chevy shavet. Let me, sh let me show you. This is a picture of where you can get a shavet. <laughs> My grandma had bushes like this growing around her house. These, what are those things, forsythias or whatever they're called? Anybody ever had to go get their own chevette? <laughs> and some of the kids are looking around going, who's got the number for DSS? <laughs> right? That is the chevette. It's a twig. It's a branch. We live in a world where we give everybody a participation trophy today. We don't want to hurt their little self-esteem now, do we? There are no winners and losers in life. I mean, we're just going to give away all free stuff going forward, right? Everything's going to be free. It's all good. Yeah, right. 
somehow we think we've gotten smarter than God. Yeah, we like John 3.16, Romans 10.13, and Philippians 4.13. But Proverbs 13.24, I want you to see Proverbs 13.24. We don't like Proverbs 13.24. The old King James says, spare the rod, what the child? Spoil him. And a lot of people don't even know that anymore. But he who loves his kid is going to be diligent to discipline him. I know it's hard to swallow. Believe me. Just wrestle with it. Listen, wrestle with what you think about the Word of God. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with what you think about Proverbs. Sometimes people say, well, I just don't like the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. So if it's not in the New Testament, then I'm not. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What you going to do with that? That's red letter. That's red letter. After all, we've done away with the rod in our culture, and how's that turning out for us? What a well-disciplined society we have going on now, don't we? You teachers are getting ready to go back to school. I pray for our teachers. Lord, help you. You think about trying to teach in 2019 versus trying to teach in 1959. We've got a culture today where kids cuss out their teachers, cuss out their parents, cuss out their coaches. We've got people that pour buckets of water on our policemen today and think it's okay. What blatant disrespect. Indeed, the culture today says the rod, well, it's abusive. Folks, the rod was never intended to be abusive. We just looked at what the rod was it's a blame twig. It's not a baseball bat. It's not a crowbar or a club. It's a little twig, and it's meant to sting. Wrestle with it. It's in the Word of God. The rod is a means to subdue the will of the child, not break their spirit. You break their will, not their spirit. You only use the rod as a last resort. You don't use the rod on a kid who spills their milk at the table. That's an accident. You use the rod when it is a last resort. You have warned, you have cajoled, you have encouraged, and then they obstinately look at you and maliciously say to you, no. No, I'm not talking about, no, I'm not going to do it. They go, no. What are you going to do about that? Okay, okay. <laughs> I say this at Walmart all the time. God help people at Walmart. <laughs> and that's like, they ought to call it the zoo. I'm telling you, I, it's just, that place is amazing. I get so many sermon illustrations for just walking around at Walmart. I just get my little pad out and I just start writing stuff down. I'm like, this is crazy. Aisle 16, man. <laughs> Whew. In our home, we don't use the rod anymore. Aha, you don't. No, my kids are too old. I mean, I got kids in their 20s that's married, and I got two 14-year-olds. Let me tell you something. This is a personal opinion. Do what you want to with it. In my estimation, when a kid gets to be probably 10 or 11 years old, the rod, that, that, that stinging on their hind end, oh, and it is on to be their hind end. God's given us a little extra right here. You know what I'm talking about. That's where the rod's to be used. It's on the gluteus maximus. You don't use a rod on their hands or any other part of their body. But we don't use one anymore, but we used to. In fact, I, because I want my hands to be for loving, I think that's another reason God gave us the object of a twig or an offshoot, a branch. You know, it's about the size of your pinky finger. You can't kill somebody with that, you know. It's just, you know, switch, 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 you know. Just, I'm, but I want to use my hands to love. But, I mean, I remember one time that uh, Andrew... Walmart makes you crazy. Andrew just pulled out of my hand and just took off. I swear he almost got hit by a car. I grabbed him by the neck of his shirt and I pulled him back over and I went, whacked him on his hind end and I said, son, you could have gotten killed. Then the next thing I was doing was looking around to see who had a phone. <laughs> who recorded that to call DSS and come get my boy? I mean, that's the world we live in today. No, we, we had a little spoon, 
and because um, I don't have a forsythia bush growing at my house. And so we had this little bitty spoon, this little thin little thing. I mean, paper thin, maybe a quarter of an inch thick. I mean, it would have broken if you'd have used it harder than that. But, but it, 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 see, it's, it's not for um, tremendous punishment. It, it's, it's, it just stings. It's to, it's to get the attention. You understand what I'm saying? And so we had this little spoon, and, on, and it had a little handle on it. It was about an inch and a half wide. And on one side we had written Ephesians 6.1. You know Ephesians 6.1? It's a great verse to teach your children, parents. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Wrote it on there. You say, well, there's two, hand, two sides of the hand. I did flip it over. Three verses later is what I quoted a moment ago, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not frustrate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we used the spoon from time to time. Didn't have to use it much, though. And here's the thing about the rod, about the chavette. When you use it a few times, you just don't have to use it much. In fact, I was asking Claire about this earlier this week. I said, baby, I said, how many times did we, did we have to have a visit with the spoon? She said, uh, I don't know, three or four times, I guess. Anyway, we, we kind of moved on to conversation. And a few, couple of minutes later, she goes, twice. I said, twice? What are you talking about? She goes, twice, twice. Oh, the spoon. She said, yeah. She said, uh, twice, and she told the occasion. I said, so what do you remember about it? She said, well, it stung, but it, that, that's, that, that's not what I remember. She said, I just remember how much I disappointed you for you to have to use the spoon. And I just, I didn't want to do that anymore. Now, we all, perhaps, if you've got more than one kid, you, you, if you're blessed, you've got a kid, maybe, that's like that. And then you've got another kid that's like, you can beat me till the cows come home. <laughs> that didn't hurt. <laughs> but we're not to use the chevette in anger. You ever disciplined in anger? I'm not even talking about using, uh, you know, some sort of corporal punishment like this. I'm just saying you, you, you just kind of lost it. <laughs> yes. And I've had to go back and to apologize to my kids. I'm like, you know what? All right, what you did was wrong, but I kind of lost it there. And you know when I lose it most? Can I just bear my soul to you? It's when they do something in public to embarrass me, and I care more about what other people think about me than my kid's heart. I'm just being honest. And I care, and my kid sees that. Because I, I see my kid do something. And then I'm like, you know, just tear into them. Because I'm, what are y'all going to think? That's immaterial. I'm, I'm dealing with the Lord and I'm dealing with my kid. The Shavet is not something that we're to use in anger. The rod stopped being used in our culture. And our culture is absolutely undisciplined, untrained, and falling apart. You would have to agree with that. Amen. I would say to you that our culture is absolutely out of control. Why? See, let me remind you, church. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says this. See it? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness. Because they're born sinners. We have to teach them how to be good. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Again, it's not something you have to use that often if you use it. Now listen carefully. You've got to wrestle with this. But I'll tell you this. Discipline is not something done to a child, but it's done for a child. I would also say that the Shavet is not something anyone should use except for the immediate family. The point is this, the Shavet is painful. Now, the reason I don't use a Shavet anymore for my 14-year-olds is because it, it's of no effect. So what do I do now? <laughs> Take away their cell phone or the video games. <laughs> you take a cell phone away from a 14-year-old girl, 
<laughs> Please take my right arm for you. Take my phone. My right arm. Take it. How long? All day. Oh. Oh. The pain. Sometimes it's just funny to watch the reactions. It's just like, I take too much pleasure in it almost. I don't mean to. It's like, you got to be kidding me. But then I think about me, about my cell phone. I'm on that thing all the time. It's how I do my job. So much of it. The point is, you find out as they get older what the privileges are, and then you remove those for a season of time, and it has the effect. You take Fortnite away from a 13-year-old boy, he'll start straightening up. You say, well, you're talking about things that are painful for the kids. That's, that's true, because the Bible says that it's got to be painful. That's Hebrews 12, 11. See, look at it again. For the moment, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. And I would say to you, if the discipline's not painful, it's not discipline. Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline requires some pain. That's what you do in the gym. The gym's where you work the muscle. You cause the muscle to have pain, break it down, to build it up. And don't we want peace in our homes? Isn't that what we want? We want peace. And see, this is precisely the problem. Because we do want peace. So many parents just like, see no evil, hear no evil, and your kid is absolutely out of control. And so you want peace, and so you don't do anything about it. You just hope it goes away. Cross your fingers and pray about it. Discipline. If you want peace, the discipline comes first. It has to. If you have a child who is unruly, undisciplined, disrespectful, I promise you they are not at peace when they're acting this way. And you are not helping them when you let them get away with that. You are not helping them. You are hurting them for down the road. Because of your desire for peace right now, you just look the other way at those attitudes and those actions, smacking another kid, back-talking you, the way they talk to another kid. Get a hold of that. The Holy Spirit pricks your spirit. Get a hold of that. Children long to be instructed. Did you know that? When a kid is acting out, they're actually crying out. Somebody care about me enough to instruct me, to sit down with me and spend time with me and talk to me. That's what they're saying. So understand this, you're not really going to have lasting peace in your home until you discipline. And here's the thing about discipline. Discipline works best when there is a relationship between the parent and the child. Josh McDowell said this years ago, and I've never forgotten it, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Do you have a relationship with your kid? That's verses 8 and 9. Watch it. We must discipline. Hebrews 12, 8. If you are left without discipline, and notice it says they're you. This is why we understand this is an adult son or daughter. See, it carries on beyond childhood. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. It's like you don't have a mom and a dad. You're left to your own devices. Besides this, verse 9, we have had earthly fathers, yes, who disciplined us, and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, that's to God, and live? Church, I'll tell you what I've discovered. The believer who is the most obedient is truly living the most satisfying Christian life. That's what verse 9 talks about, that we are subject to God and we really live. You're not really living if you're living in rebellion, Christian. You're actually miserable, if you'll admit it. That word illegitimate would drive to the mind of the Hebrew the thought of Ishmael and Isaac. Which son was illegitimate and which son was the son of promise? Who was illegitimate? Ishmael. 
It was Isaac who received the covenant promises. He was part of the family. That's the whole point of Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Listen, church, it's in the context of a nurturing relationship that we shepherd a child's heart. It's so easy just to parent their behavior. Okay? Your kid's back talking to you. Okay? I've been back talking to you all afternoon. All afternoon. Okay? It's a Saturday afternoon. Just one thing after another. And you finally just, you've had it. Okay? I'm not taking any more disrespect from you. Go to your room. Off they go to their room. Door slams. Tell me, what have you parented? I would argue nothing, but you've parented their behavior. They've made you mad, so you send them away. What should we do? Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Sit down. Don't send them to the room. Send them to the couch with you. Sit down, honey. Listen, listen. We're going to talk about that in just a second, okay? I'll tell you what we're going to do in a minute. They want, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? Listen, we'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm concerned about. And you might even touch their hand or their arm. Honey, what is wrong? You've been out of your frame all afternoon. We'll talk about that in a minute. I want to know what's wrong, honey. What's going on in your heart? And you start asking questions. You know what you might find out? They could be afraid of something. They could be being bullied at school. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're just, maybe you're dealing with a teenager that's just worn out between all the school and all the practices and everything, and they're actually afraid there might be going to be fell in a class and what you might do to them. And, and they're, they've had an argument with the coach and they're not afraid they're not going to start Friday night. And just talk to them. See, the, the, the behavior is a byproduct of an attitude in the heart. We don't, the, the behavior is one thing. Go past the behavior and get to the heart. Find out what's going on in here. Because what comes out is what's coming on, what's going on in here. And so when your kid sees that you sit down and spend the time to talk to them and say, look, what's going on with you? Tell me what's going on. You know what they find out? You know what they discover? They discover that we what? Care. We love them enough to care. I care about, yes, what you're doing is disrespectful. You've been out all afternoon, but I care. You're my kid. What's wrong? What's wrong? Tell daddy. Tell mama what's wrong. Talk to me. It's important that, yes, we parent the action. We can't let kids get away with things, but we got to build the relationship. We have to ask questions. Are you building that relationship, Mom, Dad? How's the relationship with the kid? If all it is is just this, 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 and this, and hollering and screaming and shouting, and there's no peace in that. One of the books that I love, it's my favorite book on parenting. Out, of course, the book of Proverbs is fantastic, but it's this book. It's Shepherding a Child's Heart. I love this book. And you can get it. Uh, in fact, a guy sent me a text after the second service and said that this book is on sale if you've got Amazon Prime for $5.49. Yeah! I highly encourage you, Mom and Dad, you got kids? Get that book. It's fantastic because that's the goal, to shepherd a child's heart. Mom and dad, you know what? If they won't obey you, they're likely not going to obey God, dad. Dad, if they will not obey you as their earthly father, and you don't always give them all the A, B, C, and D, you don't give them the full picture. Sometimes you just say, son, trust me. You think they're going to obey God and have faith in him? If they don't trust and obey you, not likely. Not likely. The chief goal in raising kids is, yes, we want them to be obedient, but we want them to know we love them. Listen, I can, I can petrify my kids and rule with an iron fist, and they obey out of sheer fear. That's not what God desires. God desires that I show self-control and build a relationship. That's what God desires with us. You see, church, it's a pay me now or pay me later proposition. See, if you let it go when they're seven, eight, nine years old, they're going to eventually turn 16. And it's one thing to backtalk you. It's another thing to backtalk a police officer. It's another thing to backtalk your first employer. 
That's when you get fired, and they're back home with you, mama. They're eating off you again, living in the basement, living in the world of video games. Pay me now or pay me later. So what do you mean? I'm going to go all the way back to if you've got a child that's two, three, four years old, you've got to start training now. You can't wait till they're 15, 16, 17 years old. It's concrete. You can form concrete when you first pour it, like when it's young, it's fresh, two, three, four, five years old. Let's talk about that in the analogy of a child. And you're taking a trial, and you can form that. But man, when they're 16, 17 years old, it's already set and dried. You know what you got to do then? Jackhammer. It's loud and it's painful. You pay me now or you pay me later. Mom and Dad, you are going to parent them. You are going to discipline them. You just pick when. It's so much easier to get a hold of them when they're two, three, four, five, six years of age and develop that obedience in their lives. They're not going to be perfect. Some kids are harder than others. Believe me, I've got four kids. I've got three that are pretty, you know, do what, then I've got one that's, man, gee, there's always that one, right? If that one had been born first, there wouldn't have been any more, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, and, and, but that's how God challenges us. Because even in parenting kids, you can't necessarily use the same methods on, uh, with the same success with different kids in your home. That's where you have to seek the Lord. Lord, help me to know how to address this. This one listens. This one's like, I think you gave them to me just to spot me. You know, what is this? No, God loves us. And it's that kid that'll drive us the craziest that oftentimes in life that we find out that we're most alike. You ever found that to be true? The one that you butt heads with the most? That's because they're most like you, Jack. Pay me now or pay me later. This is a, this is a difficult topic, and I'd like to spend more time on it, but you don't, and I get that. <laughs> And so I'm okay with that. But I want to tell you that there's something I'm going to do that really I think can be pretty cool. I'm going to do a podcast on this. And I'm going to, we've developed now a podcast that we're going to introduce first uh, on Tuesday, September 24th. It's called Real Time Truth with me. Well, who cares? But we're going to go in depth about some of these topics. And we're going to ask the question, do you have a child run home? And we're going to, we're going to take, take about a 25-minute podcast. You, you're going to be able to listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it via our website or the app. You can do it while you're driving to work. might be good to actually plug this in and let your kid listen to it while you're taking them through the school line. Listen to this, please. Please. You say, wait a minute, you're doing it on a Tuesday. I thought you'd do two-minute Tuesdays on Tuesday on Facebook. Now I'm, I'm kind of done with that. I've done it for four years, and that platform is dying. So we're changing platforms. Okay? Same thing with my blog. I blog for 10 years. People don't read. They listen to stuff now. I'm still going to have my blog. I can point people to stuff. But this is what we're going to. It's going to be kind of cool. I think it'll be great. And we're also doing something today you might not even be aware of. Right now, this service is going live out on the Internet via Mount Pleasant Anywhere. So hello to all of the people who are watching us live. It's happening right now. Be careful what you scratch, okay? Just, just, just so you'll know you're on camera, okay? And so we welcome those who are watching Mount Pleasant anywhere. It's a new format. It's to try to help and reach people. If you're local, we invite you to church. We have three services. You can see that via the app. We encourage you to come. If you're not local, I encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live because it's being part of the family of God is a beautiful thing. But see, there are folks that watch us on television. It's tape delayed, but people watch us on Wilts Communication on Thursday nights on Spectrum Charter on Thursday nights. And so those that will be watching this in, in a few days, couple of weeks perhaps, we thank you for watching. And we're grateful. It's a platform to get the word out. By the way, for those of you who are watching, if you're being benefited by, the, by this, we'd encourage you to let us know. And it costs money to do what we're doing. And so if you feel that you're being grown and this is the way that you're being trained, then help us out. And you'll be able to do that via the app or online. But here's the point, church. It is our job to understand that when we go through suffering in life, 
that God can use that to train us. Quick side note, and we're going to look at one other little brief passage and we'll be done. God has used sickness in my life to discipline me. There are times that I can look back in my life and I see that God had to put me flat on my back to get me still long enough to hear what he was saying because I was being stubborn. And he got me sick and flat on my back so I would not make a colossal mistake because I literally didn't have the health to actually go through with what I was thinking of doing. Has that ever happened to anybody else? You ever gotten sick? And you look back at it and you go, and then you're, and, and the Lord just kind of gets a hold of you and you're like, man, are you saying, Pastor Kevin, is all sickness because of discipline? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that God will do what he needs to do to put you in the gym, to get you where you need to be. Do you think the, that the Apostle Paul was ever disciplined by God? The Apostle Paul. You ever think God put him through a gymnasium of suffering? Yes. You ever heard of his thorn in the flesh? Can I show it to you? Last place we'll go. Will you go there with me? Go back left in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Those of you that are on Mount Pleasant anywhere, there's actually a Bible tab, as Jessica mentioned in the announcement video, that you can actually pull up the Bible as you're watching. That's so cool. And what they're seeing on Mount Pleasant anywhere is the same thing you're seeing as well. If they want to go deeper, they can. And so can you. You're turning to... 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me tell you what happened to the Apostle Paul. He went to heaven. He said, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I have no idea, but I went to heaven. And because of that, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Okay? You've heard of his thorn in the flesh. Okay, here we go. You made your way there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Go to verse number 7, and I'm going to show you how God used discipline to train the Apostle Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and that's what he had seen from heaven, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Stop there for a moment. Sometimes people say, oh, the thorn was his eyesight. He had bad eyesight because there's another place in Scripture that talks about his bad eyes. That's not his thorn in the flesh. We're actually told the next, paraf- the, the next phrase tells us what the thorn was. I mean, I, mean, I'm, I mean, I'm dumb, but I'm not totally ignorant. I mean, this, let's just keep reading. A thorn was given me in the flesh, comma, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. What was his thorn? A messenger of Satan. Who is that? What is that? A demon. A demon was sent to the Apostle Paul to harass him. And what did Paul do? Verse 8, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, now I've got a red letter Bible. And these next few words are in red. So guess who said this? The Lord Jesus. God said this. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. He left him in the gym. He left him in the gym. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when you're in the gym, we were just singing about this. You're not alone. He's not failed you yet. Yes, he'll do it again because you're trying to get that weight up. And guess who's spotting you right here? You got that bar up, you're benching this thing, and you can, your arms are shaking, and Jesus is right here. Come on, come on, I've been where you are. Come on, I got it, I got it, I got it. Up, 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 up. Bang, got it. Bang, high five. That's my boy. That's my boy, y'all. That's what it looks like to hurt and be in pain. That's my girl, right there, right there. And God gets the glory if we're willing to go through the suffering, because he does it with us. He knows what it's like. He endured suffering and learned obedience through it. I believe John Newton, the great hymn writer, knew how the Apostle Paul felt. You know, John Newton wrote the most famous hymn of all time. What is that? Amazing Grace. Do you know he wrote a bunch of hymns? He wrote another hymn that's not well known. It's, It's called, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. I want you to see and hear the words. Now, it's Old English because it was written in 1779. So you just kind of got to go there with it. You ready? 
Listen to it. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of His salvation know, and seek more earnestly His face. Twas He who taught me thus to pray, and He, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Uh, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my plans, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Oh, tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou might findest thy all in me. In me. You see it? That's the goal. In this life is the children of God that we find our all in Jesus, that he's with us. Let's be honest, church family, in this agon, this agony of the Christian life, it's so easy to look at it and not like the discipline. When we're going through the agony of illness, perhaps a job loss, financial troubles, maybe it's an issue with a child at home, maybe it's an issue in your marriage, maybe you're enduring the death of someone close to you, it's all painful. Certainly we wouldn't describe any of those things as joyful. Yet like the Apostle Paul, God uses it. He uses those experiences, maybe what you're dealing with today, to train us by it. Because we're sons and daughters. Can you see it that way? Like work nesh? Good old little work nesh. That little gal, she trained her body. And she suffered. But what happened? What happened? She broke the tape. What does that mean? What? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. How about Jesus? Where did he win the victory? Where did he win the victory? On Calvary. On the cross. Can you see him one last time? Jesus on Calvary. That's victory, church. That's suffering. But that's victory. He is seated in heaven now at the right hand of the Father. And one day, church family, we will too, when we finish our race and we sit down on thrones in peace, in peace. But until then, please remember, see it one last time, Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline, Seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Bow with me. Father, I pray today that you will help us as your sons and daughters to see the things that you allow in our lives in the gymnazo, in the gymnasium, as we're, as we're, as we're running this agone that we see that the things that you're doing in our lives are for our good. The things that you allow are for our good. It's hard to see it. Some things we won't understand until we get to heaven. But Lord, we trust you as our heavenly Father, and we are your sons and daughters. For those here today, Lord, that don't know you, for those who are watching, and they've never come to a place that they've surrendered their lives, it's as simple as acknowledging that we're sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages or penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God, your gift is that you sent Jesus, thank you Lord, so that we might have eternal life. And the Bible says that if we will confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, Lord, we can be saved. And I pray for anyone who's in that position that they might just, even if they're online, just send a little note. We got uh, Matthew back there working on this. Lord, I pray for those here today that no one would walk out of this gymnazo. In this case, it's been a gymnasium today. The house of God has been a gym. 
training us. Maybe there are those that have never made that decision to even pick up the first weight. Father, I pray for those that need to be saved. They, they, their heart's been pricked today. They come to a place now, they're ready to be saved, that they'll just walk to the back corner back there underneath that little guest information sign. I'll be there. Pastor Dale's there. Debbie's there. We're here to help. Lord, I pray that you'll bring encouragement to each heart. And Lord, as we go now running this race, Lord, to run it, Lord, knowing that you're with us and that you're, you've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us, so we thank you. Lord, we give you the praise for what's been accomplished today. Take us now from this place and to go and be your ambassadors, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.